0: This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority for designated investment business and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed. Hi, I'm Nick Searle, a member of the Zeus Equity Sales Team and host of A Different Perspective. Here we interview interesting characters from the world of business and finance and uncover a different perspective. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts or contact me at live at zeuscapital.co.uk. It's Wednesday 26th of April. With me today I have Jason Tebb. Jason is CEO of On The Market. On The Market is the AIM listed majority member owned property portal. Jason started his career on the shop floor as an estate agent at Fox St Chesterton's, moving into estate agency management with LSL and others. Jason joined On The Market as CEO in December 2020. Jason, welcome.
1: Thanks Nick, great to be here.
0: Uh, great to have you here. Can we start maybe with you walking us through your career?
1: Of course. So it's, um, it's an interesting journey. Most people um, who are in the estate agency sector, as I was up until relatively recently, um, not many turn up saying I always wanted to be an agent. That's the fundamental thing. If people tend to fall into the industry rather than actively seek it out. I was doing something completely different Um at university I was actually studying to be a clinical psychologist of all things um that's what I wanted to do for this is probably um it it depends on how old you are but if you remember cracker the TV show um where uh Robbie Coltrane bless him um sadly no longer around um helped the police in finding criminals and uh looking at it from a psychological perspective with profiling as it was you know the the early days of profiling back then that's what I wanted to do That, that, that that was from very young age that's what I wanted to to be um so I studied for it for a long time and um I, I got to the stage where I got my degree um and then it sort of dawned on me that if I wanted to actually do that particular role that I was interested in I'd probably have to wait 30 odd years to get to that point because back then the sector was still in its infancy there was a lot um there was a lot of dead man's shoes in in that sector yeah. in the sense that you had to be at a particular role for a long period of time before ever moving into that kind of area and I'm by nature, I'm not the most patient of people. So um, I decided to have a bit of a career change. I, uh, if I'm really blunt with you, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was in my mid twenties. um, I had my career path set out for me, and then I had to change my mind and go down a different route. Um, And I went off traveling for a bit, um, as people do when they try and find themselves, as it's now called. Um, And I didn't find myself, but a mate of mine found me and said, look, I've just left this business. It's a little bit too intense for me, um, but it would be right up your alley. And I said, oh, great, what is it? And it's, it's a company called Foxton's in yeah. London. Um, I had no idea what Foxton's did. I had no idea it was a, a an estate agent. I'd never lived in London before, um, but I got the number. I called the number. And uh, I think fortnight later, I started as a junior trainee negotiator in the Richmond office for Foxons. and that's how I started my estate agency career and as you mentioned in the intro, um, worked my way over the next 20 years pretty much um, through many of those different journeys that estate agents go through so worked up from negotiator to a valuer to an assistant manager to a manager and then a regional manager and um, moved on from Foxons after seven very happy years there on to Chesterton's. Um, Chesterton's was my first role as an Area Director, looking at the operational and financial aspects of running a business rather than just you know, selling and letting houses. And then from there, I took a, a, the London region for LSL, uh, some of their brands, predominantly the Your Move brand, mm-hmm. um, and was uh, responsible for some of the, some of the um, great stuff we did there in terms of changing the way the brand was perceived, moving our average house price up on instruction, moving the fee levels up. And also that's when I learned about multiple income stream management, lots of things that happen before, during and after a transaction, not just purely the transaction itself to help generate revenue. Um, From there, I spent um, some very happy years. I launched my own estate agency business in 2013. I exited that in 2017 um, with the intention of maybe spending a couple of years out or or traveling the world or something. but uh, no, not in my nature either. So I think I lasted two weeks and then I started uh, as chief operating officer for a a group of companies that predominantly were involved in investment, uh, property investment management um, and some residential stuff as as well. Um, Did that for a period. And then um, as you say, right up to date, um, all of a sudden one afternoon got a call that uh, effectively changed my career path again. um, And that's how I've ended up on the market. And then joining December
0: 2020, I mean, that was pretty much in the thick of COVID.
1: Yes, it was a um, it it was an interesting scenario because, um, as I said, I first got a call about the potential role, I think the week that the lockdown started. So either February or March of that that year, sometime around then. Um, And I went through the entire process, six months of that process, um, never meeting anyone physically right up until the very sort of tail end of the of those um of, of those sessions and i i had to get very used to um you know what back then it's, it's completely normal now you and i yep. are chatting like like this but, but back then it was considered definitely a second degree of uh, communication it wasn't necessarily the preferred level of communication at that time and so i had to go through that process virtually on the other end of a screen and uh, and you know Pan out my vision for the business and what I wanted to do, and talk about my my, myself and where I thought my skill sets lay, all in this virtual environment. And I think, you know, if you look back on that now, um, it probably set me up in good stead because my first six months were also largely within the same environment um, with lockdown still on and off. So yes, it was a a strange time, but um, I think it prepared me well for the future.
0: Do you want us to chat through on the market and the market positioning?
1: sure so um put very simply um on the is a property marketplace um, that's sometimes referred to as a property portal that's where estate agents letting agents and house builders advertise their available properties across the country and then we attract consumers to the site and they'll visit the site to search for properties of interest for sales and for lettings and then obviously we put the two together we introduce the consumers with the advertisers um at, at the the core of the business is obviously that piece on the market.com, which is the portal piece. Um, but on the market.com is also about you know, a wider ecosystem. You know, we're focusing on lots of technology-enabled solutions to help our customers do their jobs more quickly, more effectively, more cost-effectively too. And as I mentioned earlier, the ecosystem around the property transaction is vast. There's hundreds of things that happen before, during, and after. And essentially, over the last few years, since certainly since I've come on board, we've focused on those other parts of the of the ecosystem to help provide that additional value to our customers.
0: And then how do you compete against, I guess the the market leader that most listeners will know of?
1: So the market leader um, has been around a long time, um well over twenty years, longer than we have. Um, we are, in in the in the rankings we are third, a very very solid third in terms of the overall rankings against the market leader and the the, the second place. Um, our third position is pretty well galvanised now. Um, there have been challenges over the last couple of years that have come along and sadly gone away, sadly for them, but for us we are now very well established. I think we're we're established, and I, I even go so far as to say I don't consider us a challenger anymore um, in, we're often referred to as a challenger portal. I'm mm-hmm. not sure, I'm not sure after eight years listing on the A market when we should be, uh, referred to as a challenger anymore, but I think we've well established ourselves now. And now of course, our sights are firmly set on improving, uh, our position and maybe one day getting to top spot.
0: And, ha- and how do you, how do you grow the business to get it to that top spot?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, bra- brand building and, um, you know, building a business that essentially is a website, you know, a website which is our, our main and certainly to some extent our only tangible asset in terms of what, what we offer. Um, building that and building a business of scale takes both time and money. Having huge amounts of either um, isn't necessarily the answer. You have to have both over a considerable period of time. What we've done is we've managed to get to a point which we're very pleased about to get to that break-even position where we are cash generative as a business, where we are continuing to build on our own product and service offering around wider aspects of the property ecosystem to help provide new products and services to our agent customers and to our house builders too. We grow and continue to grow as as an entity by operating in those areas, in those other strategic areas to help us grow both our revenue, and then of course, from a knock-on perspective, grow our market share as we do so um, in in these sectors, uh, visits to the site, so eyeballs as I would call it, eyeballs breed eyeballs, stock that comes to the site breeds eyeballs. So it's a it's a circle that we constantly yep. have to adapt and change and look at in terms of providing as much content for our customers Um, as much content for the consumer as well and then obviously the the people who visit the site therefore the network effects start to spread out and the brand builds over time and that really is our strategy for the for, for the next few years now we have got to a position where we are well established and as I said cash generative we can now expand into other parts of the property ecosystem all around this kind of tech enabled property business which will help to grow us in the future
0: I mean would that lead to convincing done digitally or, or what other sort of ideas would you have to bolt on to the main core offering.
1: It's a good question so we we if you if you take you know just a couple of examples so you think about what happens before a property is listed um even for sale. So the agent will need to visit it they'll need to do a valuation um they will need to give their own market appraisal as well. Because don't forget, valuation is very different from a surveyor coming around. It's yep. it's a, an, an agent, valuation is an appraisal of the price. They'll then need to do the EPC, which is needed to be able yep. to list the property. They'll need to do the details, the photographs, the floor plan, the anti-money laundering checks. So there's already 10 things there before the property is even listed. So when you look at those areas and you look at all the things that are bolted on as part of that ecosystem, that's where the opportunity lies. If you look at larger elements as well. Yes, of course, you know, you look at in my old businesses, um, up to 20% of revenue from my older state agency businesses that I used to run came from what we called ancillary services, and that is mortgages, life, critical illness cover, general insurance, conveyancing, will writing, removals, and loads and loads of others. So we do see that as an opportunity in the future. And I think the other thing to mention is that um, we, are, we are a site that's generating you know, 20 million site visits, give or take, every month you know we sit well within the top 50 most visited websites in the uk um that's not just property sites that's all websites Mm -hmm. so we have an enormous compared to some consumer engagement consumer traffic and we believe there's opportunity for consumer monetization strategies in the future as well now
0: that that makes sense if you were to roll it forward 10 years or even 15 years is there a vision that actually the high street estate agencies do disappear, and and portals become the main way. I know there's obviously the 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 relationship between the estate agencies and the portals. but it would seem if technology will allow us to put it all online, really, with having some agents that maybe come and do valuation, and that's it.
1: Um so I don't think that'll ever be the case, certainly not in my career times, so that maybe not in my lifetime. And the reason why I'm so convinced of that is that, a, have done the job for two decades, so I yeah. know that there's much more to it than just you know, listing a property or clicking a few buttons. B, I'm totally convinced that whilst there is an ever moving trend towards more material information about a property, more upfront information, digitized central storage for that property information, what, despite all that, what makes, ultimately makes the difference is interaction between human beings. know Mm -hmm. we are still in the scenario even today with all the technology you look at how many prop tech businesses there are out there all trying to solve various solutions along the journey the key thing that keeps it all together is the agent it is their expertise it's their skill set if you look at what the average is in terms of how many properties fall through so the fall through rate as we would call it for sales um it's been somewhere between 30 and 35 percent, depending on you know which metrics you look at I mean that, that's a big number. A third of all sales fall through. If you think about that from a a pipeline in any mm-hmm. other industry, if you're saying a third of your pipeline is going to fall through, it's pretty concerning. What makes it what makes the difference um, to that average is exceptional agents, is people to keep chains alive, is people to uh, overcome challenges, is to manage expectations. And I think certainly, you know, whilst I'm, I um, absolutely applaud the fact that there's more technology coming to the sector I think it's a good thing I still think human interaction will be a fundamental part of the estate agency life cycle for many many years to come. No that makes a lot of sense actually that makes a lot of sense um, and then it'd be remiss of me not to ask
0: about the housing market and obviously the view my view would be that your know, higher interest rates potentially mean slower, slower transactions I mean what are you seeing on the ground as it were?
1: Well, it's a very different picture than it was a few months ago. So I think everyone will will agree, particularly with the you know the the how loud the headlines were shouting uh, in October and no, November, and all the commentators were commentating about what happened in Q4 last year. Um, I think that rocked um, the house buying public, the house selling public, the landlords, and and the tenants um, significantly. Um, and that's why I think over that following period, particularly the, the first couple of months after the two budgets and three prime ministers yeah. months yeah. that we had, um, I think there, there was the element of instability. We've seen layered on top of that the cost of living crisis, the macroeconomic conditions that are at, at very best uncertain, um, geopolitical events still sort of rumbling on in, in the background that were causing all of this uncertainty together. And there was an environment where people were very cautious and, and nervous, and then you add to that mortgage interest rate rising on top of com- compounding that cost of living rise, and it, it did make for some tough conditions. Um, I think how that bore itself out was that certainly in terms of the metrics that we measure, um, you know, leads that are generated from new instructions um, towards the tail end of, of last year, that was affected. There's no doubt about that. It wasn't affected by as much as people thought or predicted and that the big thing that obviously you can measure is what happens to average house price and then we'll yep. come on to transaction numbers but average house prices as we've seen from the last 2 3 months are either um dropping by point half a percent or 1% or maybe even staying still depends on the on the metric that you you look at um but I think we need to remember that after the covid lockdowns um, everyone was predicted that covid would have a negative effect on house prices that it would be 20 percent down that it would be doom and gloom no one would buy or sell at all but the reality was with the exception of the three months where no one could actually do anything let alone buy or sell if you look what happened in those two years subsequently after that we saw on average 17 percent maybe 20 percent house price growth Not house price decline in that area and now i think we're seeing through a combination of supply and demand changes there's more supply coming um and and naturally people who've held off on a move for a long time that pent-up demand will start looking looking again i think we've seen the combination of those factors mean that whilst prices are starting to drift off from their peak um we're we're still a, a long way away from what they were before the, the COVID lockdown event and those rises of 17 to 20% over the previous years. I think what we've got now is, dare I say it, a business as usual market. Um, we've got a market where um, people have reacted to the changes in their, their cost of living. Um, interest rates have gone up and to some extent in a highly still a highly competitive mortgage market are, are yep. changing up and up and down. Um, inflation is the, the the big target for the government th- this year, and whilst it had a little blip last month, there is still a very clear um, definitive approach to be able to bring inflation down. And I think we are in a much more normal market, business as usual market, than some people would think, certainly in terms of the metrics that I see on the market.com as well. I mean, one of the things that we do is a property sentiment index, it's not necessarily um, know, data of house prices like the others do. But it's, it's saying to our consumers who visit the site, how confident are you, you know, it's very much like um, the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors asked their surveyors, how confident are you in what's going to happen in the next three months. And we ask our consumers that and last month, um, in the April report reporting on March's numbers, 71% of active buyers in the UK were confident that they would purchase a property in the next three months. And 63% of sellers were confident they'd sell in the next three months. So both those stats alone say that I don't think consumer confidence has been dented other than temporarily in Q4 last year.
0: And then in tighter property markets, do portals tend to perform okay and or well even as agents look for more eyeballs to sell their infantry?
1: It's a very good question because, um, you know, you look at any business vertical when things are going well. Um, what do what do businesses tend to spend on people and marketing when you look at things that aren't when things aren't going so well what's the first cuts they make people and marketing the same things get get cuts in the agency sector and the, the house builder sector as well more eyeballs means more potential buyers which means more mm-hmm. potential sellers which means more landlords and all the whole cycle goes round yep. again so actually uh, choosing products as well as our core portal service, having products that are specifically targeting on getting more of one of those cohorts, um, the, the take up can actually be pretty good because people, you know, a- agents are in a position where they're not necessarily getting 100 buyers registering for every single property now. Um, they do have to find those top buyers and top tenants who are in the best possible position, willing and able purchasers and financially qualified applicants, um, and providing services that help to get those people. Um, are in demand. And likewise for house builders, they've been very fortunate over the last few years that that the concept of a pre-sold development um, became the norm. Um, You'd launch a a, a development to the market, even if not all of it was finished or practically completed yet, and there was still some in the build phase, it would all reserve off plan or from the, the marketing unit, and then the site would be sold out. That isn't necessarily the case anymore. And therefore, those you know, developers large and small and agents large and small actually do see value in the additional services we provide because it helps to find those most motivated purchasers and tenants
0: I guess also now you have a you have a global eyeball pool don't you so you really do open up your infantry to a, to a global market
1: yeah I think you're right I think that's where you know the the, the portal space has been you know, such a positive influence for for agents I go back to you know, the the days when I started very, very early 2000s, the brand that I worked for wasn't on any portals. In fact, portals themselves were in their infancy back then, Um, to an average agent who historically used to spend, you know, thousands of pounds on the local paper. um, And it was how many pages you had in the local paper that determined your market share and therefore how likely you were to get a call from a potential seller or for landlord. But back then, that that was the method. but what the portal space has done is opened, as you rightly say, to a global audience, the ability for a small to medium-sized agent to punch well above their weight in terms of the coverage that they provide to people, not just within the, their location, their, their street or their particular high street, but way out of the location anywhere in the UK or around the world. So I think it has, it, from, from that perspective, it has benefited in terms of being able to uh, cast your net much much wider than you would have had done previously with the hyper localized approach which is what estate agency essentially was built on in the 70s and 80s
0: and then estate agents have they appreciated this have they have they have they warmed to portals
1: I think warmed is um is is a, is a, is a phrase I would interpret somewhat d- differently depending on which agent I'm speaking to look I mean let, let's be really blunt um the portal space, when it first, when when portals first came around, there's no doubt, as I just said, it transformed someone's marketing ability, the ability mm-hmm. to be able to cast your net wide. As the portals have grown um, in strength, in size, in power, and in cost, um, they've become, um, in my view, which is why I'm working so hard to change it. I think they've become somewhat detached from the customers that put them there in the first place, those people who placed their faith in that, in 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 them so long ago. I think that as more portals have come along establish themselves and sadly some have come and gone as well along along the way there is more competition for that that portal spend and additional product spend obviously there is more competition for that as well i think on the whole the agent community and i can say this because i was one for 20 years i was relatively outspoken when i was an estate agent about all three of the the major ports, including the one I now run um, and and said that as they've got bigger, they need to listen to us and they need to to listen to what we want and what we need and come up with products and services that work for businesses large and small and be innovative and embrace new technology rather than it just being a classified ad site. and I think, therefore, some of the frustration has come on the, on the back that there's an ever-rising cost base across multiple different portals and platforms with no real tangible differentiation, hence the reason why we've embarked on the strategy that we've embarked on over the past two years.
0: I mean, do you think looking forward there will just be three? Um, do you think there is an cons- opportunity for consolidation within the portal sector?
1: Well, if you look at um, the, the sector around the world, there's usually three. Um Not four, not five, not six. There are always you know another three challenges that come on that sort of grow yeah. and and either um sadly go out of business or are that there's some consolidation events that go on. but normally, if you look at um Europe and you look at um other parts of the world as, as well in particular um th- th- there's there's three players um and there's an incumbent that's been around the longest. Has the most brand awareness either because they've spent the most or as i said earlier have been going the longest a combination of those two things then there's a couple of challengers all of them vie for that second spot um so i think that you know to, to be able to have another three for example in the uk i think we've already seen with recent history with what's mm-hmm. happened with one of the challenges um that that doesn't necessarily work i think that 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 there should always be that in, incumbent and that challenger because otherwise if i if my ambition was to stay third all the time what's the point of me, in in me yeah. doing it so i think that is but i think from a, a differentiation piece there's very few portals around the world that have their customers as part of their shareholding stakeholding group as yes. well you know we we i think the, the the statistic i saw a couple of weeks ago it's something like only 2% of all you know portals worldwide have some sort of customer ownership structure and i think that does make us pretty much unique not totally but pretty much unique certainly unique in the uk and it's that element that i think gives us the most power in terms of being able to listen to what our customers want and adapt accordingly which means that you know if a if an average agent is thinking about their portal choice they should certainly consider looking to us and continuing their faith in us because we are on their side and ultimately want them to be successful because of the structure that we have
0: and I guess that comes also from having a very dominant number one player I guess doesn't it who who believes I'm sure that they can they can control the market and price the market and you know believe that their eyeballs are the best eyeballs but there's always a different option
1: yeah I think so and i've I've always made a point since I joined on the market of never you know, saying anything negative about any of the competitors they've they've built businesses in their own way. I think one thing we can do and we are doing is differentiating and being more than just a listing service, being more than just a portal, owning our own lane, and you know being known for something that the others aren't is where again, you know that th- this isn't just unique to the portal space, it's unique to any business vertical. you find your reason. our reason is is almost certainly those serious property seekers, people who actually want to transact rather than just people who want to browse. Um, and our focus is very much on encouraging valuation opportunities as well as providing more value to the core membership for our customers so we think we've defined what our lane is and are now owning it our ownership structure in terms of the fact we're majority agent owned absolutely helps with that. It's a massive help because we can engage with our customer base in a very different way we're working with them don't forget we're not working against them we're working with them we have shared aims and values we have shared priorities and shared vision for what the future should be so i think that puts us in a very good place in terms of how the future might pan out and speaking of the future,
0: I mean, is there any way that sort of AI or chat GPT can start to, to weave its way into into property portals? There's
1: a lot of chatter around this, isn't there, in terms of AI, which was which, you know, that, that phrase has been talked about for about five, six, seven years, I think. But it's only in the last 12 months that it sort of means anything tangibly to, to people. Look, I think that. Um, there's certainly advances going on we're looking at a number of different things but there's certainly advances happening all the time around artificial intelligence and how it can support various elements of the sales cycle or letting cycle i do think there's there's things there for example you know that this isn't new i'm not saying anything that um we're sort of coveting ourselves but it is possible to ask um AI, please write a description of this property, um, provide some bullet points and it'll write a description. It's fairly g- generic, but it is nonetheless a description. Um, I used to remember they used to take me half an hour, 45 minutes a pop. So if I'm doing five or six a week, then that's half a day back. So there's little examples like that. Yeah. I do think that where there could be the most advanced from an AI perspective is, is in prosecuting data. So obviously data is a huge part of what we do, we are powered to a certain extent by the data that we have, uh, make business decisions accordingly. Our agents do the same in terms of their own market share, how many properties they're listing uh, compared to their competitors, what their sell-through rates are, what their average sale time is, how long a property takes to exchange. I think using AI to power that, that big data piece to provide insights that would take you know, teams of people weeks and weeks to work out. I think there is some advantage in, in, in that. And I think that, that those, particular, um, those particular areas in terms of what, what insights you get and how to interpret this masses of data that you, 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 anyone can get on a daily basis, I think it's interpretation and powering it in terms of strategic decision making that I think AI might have the most success in the future
0: could you could you then actually sell that data back to your customers so is there is there ability to say in this location in London we've seen so many searches for three bedroom houses with gardens that would be where we suggest you go out and try and find some is there is it that granular or
1: can it be that granular it can be that granular um and and to, to be clear I think it that already happens. Um, we don't necessarily need AI for that. We will know on our on our site, you know, roughly how many visitors that we're getting to the site from any one of our lead generation areas, be it email, be it PPC, be it you know brand awareness, any of those brand building pieces. We'll know how many people are visiting the site, what their average uh, time spent on site is, what locations they're looking at, what price range they're looking at, and that could power. Um, if we kn- if we know that data, which we do already, it could power strategies about how to market to a particular data, yeah. uh, data cohort. So just thinking of an example, um, I've worked in many branches in, in my time, and I've worked in branches where, for whatever reason, we had a high propensity of stock that was over 750,000, but very little stock on below that. Um, was that a brand perception issue? Was that we just didn't have any stock at that level, therefore, stock breeds stock, and you yep. end up reaping what, what you sow? How do you change that and how do you how do you modify that to get a wider, broad, uh, a broader range of market properties? If that's what the decision is, AI and intelligent problem solving can help to deliver that, I think. And are the
0: agents and your members asking for that yet? Are they are they there with this sort of big data analytics or is that something that you would need to persuade them to look at in more detail?
1: I don't think they need persuading. It comes up al- already. I mean, I've just finished. um my latest round of town halls they finished this morning actually spoken to hundreds and hundreds of agents over the last seven days um asking them what they want and need from us taking their views on board and i would say that concept of using intelligent tools ai um comes up it came up pretty much every every time it is something very much at the moment in terms what's what's being talked about so i don't think we need to persuade them i think um they they all know that you know, even individually as agents, even a small agent is sitting on so much of their own data, let alone the stuff that we collate collectively. There's so much of their data that they are sitting on and finding clever ways to use that data to benefit them, to build market share, to get new instructions, to to, to provide insights into the headcount numbers for the next six months, those kinds of things. I think there's so much that can be done there. And I think we have an obligation, certainly from our perspective as a tech-enabled property business, to look at new um, tech solutions which we will absolutely do and continue to do so but also help agents do that for themselves i think there's an opportunity there as well and then if you again look forward what or
0: what are the key kpis that you look at for the business and how does that transcend into the wider market what, what do you look at what 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 are the what are the key performance indicators that you look at
1: um it's uh, it, it's, it's pretty simple, really. Um, you know, we are, as I said earlier, a website that gets traffic to the site from consumers. And the key performance indicators are how many of those consumers go on to generate a lead. So what we would call internally the conversion rate, how many site visits do we get? How many leads do we get off the back of those site visits? And what's the percentage of 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 those numbers? Um, so that is the, the key metric for me. Why is it the key metric when um, many, many industries and or many businesses in this sector focus on the headline number, the site visits. Um, my focus is on that, I think, for a very good reason, and that is I don't need 100 million visits to a site a month to be confident that I've got the proportion of people who are serious about property seeking. You look at how the, 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 the UK um, housing sector is made up. Um, there's 27 million properties in total, much lower than people think, by the way, mm-hmm. when you when you take out the five and a half million in the private rented sector, the three million that are with local authorities, the two million that are in housing associations and a couple of others, you're down to 17 million properties that could ever become available at any one time a tiny proportion ever do become available at any one time. You look at the population of the UK, 68 million people. You can take away a third of that because they're either too young or too old to buy a property in the first place. And then you look at the demographic spread on the back of that. You're actually dealing with a relatively small pool of people, still millions and millions, don't get me wrong, but a relatively small pool of people. So I'm much more interested in the cohort of people that actually can buy or rent and want to do so, the available properties that could come to the market at any one time and therefore. My key metric is the conversion rate of those site visits and the leads generated from it. I think the other the other KPI, obviously from a a, a business and revenue perspective, is what's known as ARPA, average revenue per advertiser. So this is roughly that does what it says on the tin. It's the amount on average that a customer will, will spend on a monthly basis. We focused very heavily on building not just our core listing service um, and features and functions within that. But as I mentioned earlier, all of the other things that we're providing to help agents do their job quickly or more cost effectively. In the last 12 months alone, we've we've launched a number of different products in terms of valuation tools to help agents win more instructions, prospecting tools to help them canvas and send letters to potential sellers and landlords. Um, We've uh, developed our own software solutions for the lettings journey and for the sales journey as well. Um, So we've we've done a number of things, even in this past 12 months, that are really designed on helping agents make money for themselves, save money, um, be more compliant in terms of the compliance elements, and build their own businesses. And the the byproduct of that will be an increase in the average revenue that we get per advertiser. So they're they're, they're the two key metrics. There's loads of others too, but they're the two things I focus on.
0: I mean, is there any uh, validation in actually taking away the the back office functions completely and running the the sale process on a on a bigger wider economies of scale basis
1: i think that so so it depends who you ask so you you could get you know one thing that um i know for a fact having just done all these hundreds of people on town halls is that when you when you ask 10 estate agents you'll get 50% fifty percent will say yes absolutely and 50 percent say no, no way never so you do get definitely polarized opinions my own experience of that is I've worked for businesses of both sides ends of the spectrum I worked for businesses who had you know centralized infrastructures that you know pooled resources um, most of them in-house but some of them were were off-site as well or third party um, and I've had I've been involved in businesses where it, it, the core ethos of the business was we are going to do it all ourselves yeah. that's what makes us yeah. unique so I think you know it could be seen to one agent it's a benefit and potentially outsourcing could be a solution of which we could you know provide yeah. those outsourcing solutions I think to another cohort of agents they'd say what makes me good in my business is that I do it all myself so I think it does it does depend I have I have to say though that that this is where technology can be very important and you know really help to make the profitability of an agency business work or the ability to grow market share and that is the ability to choose those parts those touch points along the journey that we could help with them with um, and then therefore be helping them help themselves as well and that's other areas that we have already explored and continue to explore.
0: Jason as my regular listeners know I like to close with three questions let's take one at a time if that's okay your greatest inspiration or mentor
1: it's a good question. So I, I wouldn't say there's an individual um, that um, I, I ha- I'm very fortunate to have a couple of mentors who I uh, speak to regularly and look to for advice, but no one in, in no particular one individual. The inspiration I look to um, is an interesting one for me because I think the area I refer to a lot, and my team will know this as well as an area of inspiration, is is this whole concept of elite level sport. you know the Mm -hmm. top, top quality sport in any sector. My own particular passion is Formula One. I'm a huge petrol head. I've been an F1 fan all my life. And if you look at how those teams are made up, you look at the number of individuals who are working across all these different disciplines. Each car is completely unique. Um, There's Hardly anything comes off a shelf. It's all based on individual designs, thousands of moving parts. And yet you do all that in the closed period over the winter. And then they arrive at testing in February early March. And by the, the, by the time the grid lines up on the first race, there's less than two seconds between them. That's the yeah. bit that I find absolutely fascinating. So I think what that inspires me to do is this whole concept of success, winning or losing or being successful in business is often about tiny, tiny incremental changes, so constantly it's the whole- improving.
0: So the whole dave brailsford marginal gains then small marginal gains
1: small marginal gains um and i i look to that in myself um i'm hard on myself for that for that reason to constantly improve myself as a as a leader as a person i look to that in my teams i look to that in our strategy um i think that that's that's the inspiration i get that constant refining and tweaking of our process system strategy and our own personal development i think is so important so we'll come on to
0: the book in a
1: minute but I, I may have guessed your book then <laughs>
0: go on you you guess it for me I'll tell you if you're right Atomic Habits by James Clear uh,
1: it's very interesting that you say that I it is it isn't the one that I was going to say to you but I I, I know it well but I actually I actually I'm not a big avid reader I do read yep. but, I, do, I, but I, I tend to be more of a Consumer of information rather Mm -hmm. than a a reader. I very rarely get a chance to sit down and read a book cover to cover, although I have read that one in particular as well. But my book that I would choose is something that genuinely, and I mean this, and people are sometimes very dramatic when they talk about books, but this book really did change my life. Yeah. It's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Um, And I know many people on this show will have said it already, and I'm sure there'll be many after me, but when I was thinking about myself as a young person uh, in a, an industry I had no experience in, being a salesman, which I also had no experience in, slightly older than pretty much everyone else in my yep. office. you know, My manager was younger than me because I'd come into the industry later. I had to find a way that I could not just perform at the same level as them, but actually increase my, my own potential, my own performance. And I just found that book, which was so clear to me about you know how to, how to organize yourself, your mind, start with the end in mind all of those all of those things just opened up a whole new way of working for me and even today I have my priorities book split into four categories I still do it now and I think that book really did change my mindset and how I how I approached my business life but also how I approached my home life too
0: it's interesting I wonder if your degree in psychology sort of paved the way
1: for that yeah I've, I've been asked that um sort of anecdotally a few times, um, you know, d- d- did what you did or were going to do for a living give you an advantage or or pave the yeah. way? And I I think now I've been doing this what isn't a new role in anymore. I've been in property 20 years. I think it absolutely did. If you were to ask me 20 years ago, I'd say it doesn't make any difference. It's absolutely fine. no, no no, no overlap at all. But I think it did. It did pave the way. And it did make me think differently about human interaction. It made me thought, think differently about what motivates the people that I was working for or that now work with me. Um, made me think about the, the concept of sales from a technolog- technological point of view. And by technological, I don't mean prop tech. I mean it, thinking about that sales cycle, that sales process. How yeah. do you build rapport? How do you gain that trust of the potential client? How do you transfer that enthusiasm about your product or service onto them? And think about it in an analytical um, and scientific way I think that did give me an advantage and I still you know I, I I use those things that I learned back then pretty much every day um and I think you know on reflection it was certainly set me up in very good stead for the future
0: excellent and then my final question what piece of advice would you give to a young person starting their career to follow in your footsteps
1: I think for me uh, and i've i learned this probably too late in my career if I'm really honest I wish I'd learned this you know, when I first started, um, the only true USP is you. You are the only true USP, you know, your personality, your way of interacting, your way of communicating. So develop you, develop you as a as a person, understand your strengths and your weaknesses. I went through my early career thinking I was totally invincible. When anyone would mm-hmm. say, what are you not so good at? I would say, oh, I'm brilliant at everything. I had this very, you know, a, 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 not aggressive, but I was, I was very sure of myself. Um, but secretly I wasn't. And yeah. I used to spend you know, a lot of my time trying to compensate for the things I wasn't so good at, like we all are. We're all good at stuff yeah. and not so good at other things. I used to try and compensate for that, probably in the wrong way. I think what I learned, especially when you get into your late 40s as I'm in now, you know what you're good at. So make the most of what you're good at. Um, things you're not so good at, surround yourself with people who can make you better, help you improve, or indeed just do it in a way that you never will. And I think it's that, if i had to put it into a sentence it's understand yourself learn about yourself your own strengths and weaknesses realize that you are your own usp you're the only thing that's unique about anything that you will interact with ever so use that to your advantage that would be my advice okay so that's very sage advice how can listeners get in touch with you um in a number of ways um you can obviously. Um, have a look on our on our website on themarket.com, com, which is um, uh, available, and you can search for thousands of, of properties um, that are listed. Some of them listed 24 hours or more before either Rightmove or Zoopla via our only with us proposition. If you want to get in contact with me personally, the, the best way is via LinkedIn. Um, very okay. active on on LinkedIn, so please do check me out, Jason Teb, and uh, I will come up in the search there. Happy to chat to you, Jason. it has been great fun. Thank you very much for your time. Likewise, Nick. Thanks a lot.
0: Thanks for listening to A Different Perspective, a Zeus podcast. If you'd like to feature on the podcast or get in touch, you can contact me on live at zeuscapital.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.